Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone in front of the camera and behind the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. My name is Rex Sykes. I'm your host today. My guest is author and acting coach Eric Morris. He's written, uh, I think he's on his seventh book now, but he's written uh, many books that you'd know, uh, Being and Doing, No Acting, Please, among others. Uh, he's been uh, uh, a mainstay, uh, uh, an icon, a, a trendsetter, uh, in the acting world, in the film business, so I'm happy to have him as a guest. Uh, first, I've got to welcome all of my listeners, tell you that the chat room is open, and um, if you're at the official website, you're at rexsykes.com. That's the address for MovieBeat, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com is my name, and uh, you can become a, a subscriber to the website by clicking on the RSS feed right there at the welcome page. Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource for you. That's why I connect you up with professionals who are making it happen. We pull back the veil. We expose the man behind the curtain like in The Wizard of Oz. We talk about insider information, secrets to how you can be more successful in getting your film projects made or your acting career launched. Uh, my listeners are people who are very well-seasoned and entrenched A-listers in the uh, movie business all the way to newbies and to fans. And so there's a little something for everyone. I really appreciate it when, if you're listening live, you make us a friend or you make us a fan, you uh, ask questions, you chat with us in the chat room. Uh, but I love the way you support us. And, and the best way you can do that is to friend us, to fan us, and to leave comments right there where you're listening live. You can also post the information about upcoming seminars, uh, seminars, sorry, upcoming speakers, people who are guests on my show, uh, as well as um, once they've occurred, you can you can post about it on your Facebook wall, your MySpace wall, uh, you can email it, you can tweet it, and when you do that, you are really helping uh, spread the word for Rex Sykes Movie Beats guests because they're sharing their expertise with you at absolutely no cost to you. Uh, the least that you could do to reciprocate is to let the world know uh, that this resource exists and to uh, enable others to take advantage of it. And when you retweet or tweet about my guests, uh, we certainly like that too. My Twitter address is Rex Sykes Movie BT. That's Rex Sykes Movie BT. Um, the good news also, I'm sorry, there's just a whole range of technical problems going on this morning. Uh, windows not opening, uh, process bars continuing to spin, not being able to bring my guests on. You know, I mean, just a, an incredible array of things that are going on, and, and uh, Twitter not working. It's just, it's just very strange. Um, but, uh, hey, that's showbiz, right? Um, 
I wanted to give you some updates about what's going on. I am a, a contributor for FilmLad.com. That's FilmLad. That's Lad. Uh, has a radio show uh, in the South. It also streams uh, you know, worldwide on the Internet at FilmLad.com. Uh, I'm on every Wednesday right around 2 p.m. Central Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, noon in the Pacific. And if you want to go and hear a show after it's occurred, you go to uh, FilmLad.com, you click on History, and you look for the date of the show. For example, yesterday was the 28th of April. It might have my picture. It might have that I'm one of the guests. Anyway, we talked about some really fascinating things yesterday, so uh, I, I'm, I'm suggesting that you go and take a listen to it if you haven't. I will tell you about my upcoming guests later in the show. Let me suffice to say that Firestarter Films is coming up May 14th uh, in the Milwaukee area at the Harley-Davidson Museum from 6 till 12 midnight. Check that out at firestarterfilms.com. Uh, you're going to want to go... Uh, uh, get all the information you can if you're in the area so that you can attend. And uh, it's an evening of fun, food, films, filmmakers, networking, and uh, I don't know of any other event quite like it. So uh, you're going to want to be there. Peter Marshall, director, is uh, got his has got his The Art and Craft of the Director Workshop coming up in May, May 14th to the 16th in Vancouver. Uh, you can find information out about that at the Hot and Fun blog at RexSykes.com. So uh, be sure to check that out. Kevin Servos, a, a celebrity golf tournament in Las Vegas in June, uh, a world fit for kids, uh, also has information at the Hot and Fun blog. Please check that out. Check out the articles. Check out the information on the incentives and all the different things uh, right there at the website. Um, again, I just had windows closing down. Uh, left and right. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm just going to uh, stop talking about all this stuff and I'm going to bring on my guest and see that I can get him on. Uh, it is Mr. Eric Morris. Hi, Eric. Are you there? Yeah, Rex. I'm here. Can you After hear me? all of that, you're there. That's good. I mean, we yeah, I'm here. <laughs> and you, and you weren't, but because uh, uh, I don't know what's going on, but uh, a lot of internet issues at this particular moment. Um, but I'm glad to have you here. Last time we talked, this is part two. I encourage all the listeners to go back and uh, listen to part one. And uh, today I thought we would talk about uh, the work. You know, you, 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 your work has been to take people beyond the method, find the linchpins to make the, uh, these things work for actors. And uh, I really wanted to give you an opportunity to discuss that and share with the listeners. Um, yeah, right. Well, you, you know, uh, I'd like to start with a little history of the method, uh, mm -hmm. very briefly. Uh, Stanislavski is the, is the uh, father of uh, method acting. Uh, he called it a system. I call my approach a system also. And method is a, uh, uh, an American term, actually. But in the 30s, sometime in the 30s, both Stella Adler and Lee Strasberg went over to work with uh, or interview or be with Stanislavski at different times. They didn't go together. They came back to the United States bringing the Stanislavski system back into the country, and they both came back with a complete divergent interpretation. Stella felt that you never use your own personal life as a, a, a foundation for acting or for choices, and Lee Strasberg went in the other direction and felt that it, you know you had to use your life because that was your life experience. And they were bitter, bitter uh, opponents for their whole life. And so, at any rate, that's how the method came back or the system came back into the country. They formed the group theater, and that was the hotbed of the uh, Stanislavski system. And uh, there were a lot of wonderful people in it. But 
dealing with historically what was missing, the missing link in the system, the method, etc., was that historically none of the master teachers and their devotees or their uh, people who worked with them really dealt with the uh, instrumental freedom of the actor. You know, they never dealt with eliminating the obstacles, blocks, dependencies, fears, inhibitions that uh, actors come to the field with. You know, we, we, we are all damaged by society, by well-meaning parents, by, by clergy, by teachers, by peer groups, by society. We want to be accepted, so we create a socially obligated persona at the cost of our own uh, impulses and feelings and what we have to contribute. So categorically and historically, that was an area that was completely, almost, or almost totally completely uh, uh, neglected. So when I started to, uh, even before I started to teach, I, I, I could see actors who were blocked, probably quite talented, but in, in, unable to function. And so uh, Str- Lee Strasberg, Sandy Meisner, Uta Hagen, uh, Stella Adler, the master teachers of the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, until they all passed, uh, did not deal with the liberation of the actor's instrument. Uh, exercise, instrumental, uh, therapeutic exercises for for antidoting or liberating the actor so that the actor could act. Or You see, I, I teach uh, uh, my own system, which is based on Stanislavski. I was influenced by Lee Strasberg also, but uh, my system goes way, way, way beyond, and I, this is not this is not an ego trip. This is the truth. It's documented in my seven books. But uh, my system goes beyond the original method, not only in, in in instrumental terms, but in craft terms. And I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, if an actor is unable to to experience uh, and express what they feel on a moment-to-moment basis or is not impressively affectable or or is blocked expressively, then acting takes place from the Adam's apple up. It becomes a cerebral process of assumption, concept, uh, imposition, presentation, representation, and I call it acting from, from the Adam's apple up, so to speak. Uh, it's a cerebral process that doesn't come from a visceral, organic, emotional place. So I spent years and years. In December, it'll be 50 years since I started teaching. That's a half wow. a century. I cannot believe that. That <laughs> I, you know, when I think about it, it's it, it's almost almost unbelievable and scary to me. But at any rate, uh, what I have done is I've innovated and created. Uh, oh, I, at one time I had over a thousand exercises that were designed to to uh, free the actor, liberate them, uh, eliminate uh, obstacles, problems, tension, fears, uh, superstition, uh, dependencies, and all. I could go on all day and tell you how many problems a person can have coming into acting, but. I pared those exercises down to about 250 or 300 that I use, not, not certainly in every class, but you know, over a period of, of the year, I, I will revisit many exercises that I've used in the past when I feel an actor really needs this for liberation. Now, once the actor is liberated, so to speak, now I want to talk a little bit about experiential acting. What does that mean? It means that 
The actor is responsible to experience in reality what the character is experiencing in the piece. Whether it's a play or a film or a television show, whatever the character is experiencing, uh, described by the author and the other actor, the other characters, etc., the actor must be able to really, in reality, experience that. So it's called, I call it experiential acting, and I think that's what, I'm sure that's what Stanislavski wanted also. But uh, the 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 method or the system or the approach was not was not clear enough was not specific enough was not dimensional dimensional enough to give actors the tools to be able to do that but the actor cannot do that unless he or she is liberated instrumentally open they are impressively affectable and free to express whatever uh, affects them so to speak so uh, I spend uh, an equal amount of time, in, especially in the beginning of training of an actor, uh, equal amount of time liberating the actor's instrument using uh, instrumental uh, therapy exercises, etc. It's not psychotherapy. It's behavior modification. A lot of people confuse it with, oh, well, it's very therapeutic. So the word therapy could be physical therapy, psychological therapy, emotional therapy. Therapy is just a word, you know. But what, I, what, what I've been doing over the years is uh, I, I believe in terms of what I see. It's not even a question of belief. It's proven that it is, it is profoundly life-changing and liberating to the people who I work with and have worked with this work. Now, once an actor is free to act, so to speak, having done all of this, then there is the craft. What is the craft? The craft is the process by which the actor addresses and fulfills the the multiple obligations of material, time and place obligation, relationship obligation, who is this person to me in the scene, in the, in the play, and how do I feel about them, the character obligation, the historical obligation, the thematic obligation. There are seven major obligations which I've identified. Now, once the actor is free to do that and understands the process, uh, in a rehearsal framework, they identify what they want to address in terms of each obligation, and they work for choices. Now, what is a choice? A choice is anything in your life, a person, place, object, thing, a sound, an odor, a person, uh, a, a telephone uh, call, a letter, an uh, article of clothing. A, 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 a choice can be anything. And once the actor selects a choice that will stimulate the life, that will fulfill the obligation he set for himself, he has to create that choice using what I call a choice approach. Now, I have, over the years, uh, created 31 choice approaches. Some of them I, I had when I left uh, uh, class, uh, like um, sense memory, it's a Stanislavski thing, effective memory. Those were things that I brought into my work. Uh, but for the most part, I had two or three uh, what I call choice approaches, and I've created over the years, and some some accidentally and some on purpose, created 31 choice approaches, five of which I call mega-approaches. A mega-approach is so rich and so dimensional that it could create a whole system of acting by itself. And the mega approaches are sense, memory, affective memory, uh, uh, externals, getting a sense of animals, people, inanimates, and insects, subpersonalities, and imaging. And I wrote a whole book on imaging. So those are the five mega approaches of the 31 
uh, choice approaches. The choice approach wow. is, the, is the approach to the choice. I know I'm speaking about it rather rapidly, but I want to get this in. The choice approach is the approach to the choice. That's how you create the choice that stimulates the emotional life and behavior that helps you to experience what the character is experiencing. Now, that's kind of a thumbnail explanation of my system. Uh, I have ten books planned. I've, I'm, I'm not finished yet with the seventh, which is freedom, the freedom to act, and then there's three more after that. So hopefully I will live long enough to complete my <laughs> project, so to speak. Wow. So, well, you are busy. Yeah, I'm 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 writing uh and I'm teaching and uh I get an occasional acting job. I I do uh I do uh what I call jamborees. I have one coming up in June. Uh we go to Lake Arrowhead to the UCLA Conference Center. We spend 6 days, 15 hours a day working on the process. Now, I have these jamborees because it's it's an opportunity to really get deeply into the work where a, a six-hour class or a five-hour class, we can't cover the ground. So a jamboree kind of uh, takes place, and uh, we have three mini jamborees, three-day jamborees, and one maxi, which uh, major is uh, in June for six days. Now, the reason I have these, because I can get to things that I cannot get to in class, much more quickly, like a jamboree would probably make up for about three or four months of classes. So I, I do those. So when, the reason I'm telling you about this is because you say I'm busy. <laughs> yes, I'm busy. You know, I just uh, I just got. Uh, I'm, I'm very. I'm, I feel very grateful for what's happening. I I feel like I'm one of the luckiest persons on the planet. They're oh, publishing God. four of my books in Turkey. They're translating four books. Uh, another publishing company uh, published two, and then they ran out of thing, and they re- reverted the rights back to me. Now a new publishing company is translating into Turkish four of my books. I, uh, I, I I'm just so grateful that the work is spreading. I have a big following in Australia. I've been invited to Australia. I've got four schools that exclusively teach my work uh, in Australia, and they're credential school. You get a degree. So I'm very grateful, you know, and that that the work is spreading all over the world. And I feel uh, more than anything, the reason I wrote the books was to disseminate the the, the work. It was ne- there was never a financial goal in it, uh, and you know you don't make money on acting books anyway. But the point is that I just wanted to get it out there, and it seems like it's getting out there after 50 years. You know, are you there? I am there. It is, uh, I was just uh, sitting kind of in awe, and um, somebody asked if you uh, already have the outlines together for the other three books, since your, your goal was to do ten. Yeah, I do. Uh, but you see, uh, some of it is on paper, and all, all, all of the rest of it is in my head. <clears throat> I'm one of those people that has one of those uh, uh, eidetic memories, if you want to call it. Uh, I have... All, I, I kind of outlined a book in my head, and when, when I sit down to write it, I put it on paper. And then I, I revise it and adjust it and change it, etc. and so forth. But, yeah, I do. Uh, the, the book after this one is going to be called, uh, after the Freedom Deck, is going to be called um, uh, The Actor's Other Selves, subtitled Using Subpersonalities as a Major Acting Tool. Subpersonalities, the origin is C.G. Jung, the German psychiatrist. 
and uh, the archetypes, etc. Well, I've developed a system of using it. It's transformational. If you saw people who actually inhabit a, a part of themselves, a subpart, uh, it, it, it's it's uh, it's breathtaking. It's transformational. So I'm going to write a book about that, and then the other book I'm going to write is in three parts, calling called directing the actor and taking direction. First part is to the director from audition to performance, how the director must deal with the actor, manipulate creatively, work creatively with the actor. The second part is to the actor, how the actor should and could respond to the director from audition to performance. And the third part is to the actor, to the director and the actor, and the collaboration process of, of achieving a creative result. That's the book after the subpersonalities book. And my last book is called the, uh, the An Actor Journalizes, The Six Journals an Actor Should Keep, uh, a daily journal, a subpersonality journal, an obligation choice and choice approach journal, etc. So those are my ten books, and unless I get re-inspired, re-inspired, I've been working on something recently that I'm going to include in this freedom to act I call Resurrecting the Inner Child. Uh, which I think is a is a mandatory responsibility for every actor to revive the childlike willingness to to believe, to pretend, to fantasize, etc. Most act, most people, as they grow up, lose that. So I'm working on uh, techniques to revisit that, re-stimulate that, open those capillaries up again, resurrecting the inner child. I'm, that's going to be part of uh, freedom to act. So essentially, you know, I'm working and, you know, I have, uh, <laughs> I was talking to my wife and I said, after these 10 books, I'm going into fiction. I'm going to write fiction. So so get ready. <laughs> if I live long enough, I'm going to do that. Very cool. So, anyway, Eric, that's, that's been my life. Well, that's awesome. You know what, Eric, we are, I'm going to take a halfway point break now. We've got a few minutes before we actually get there, but I'm going to do it now so we get it out of the way rather than do it later. Uh, sure. You're listening to RexSykes.com, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com, the official website. Uh, all of these interviews are also available from the iTunes store as podcasts, but you can listen to them live, and you can listen to them archived right from the website at the interviews blog at RexSykes.com. I've got fabulous upcoming guests, uh, tomorrow's guest. Well, actually, today, there's two interviews today, an hour after Eric. Uh, we will be having on Alan Gansberg. He's an author, producer. He's the dean of the Columbia Film School. He's a film historian. He's been on before. He'll be back. We'll be talking about the movie business and more. Producer uh, John Paul Rice will return after him, and that will wrap up this week of interviews. He will be on tomorrow. Remind you to go back to filmlad.com and listen to my interviews over there uh, every Wednesday. So if you want to look at the calendar uh, and just go back through, you know, there's, I think, four of them there right now. Uh, you can go back and listen to those interviews. i got to tell you about uh, this website. It's uh, www, of course, movieset.com, M-O-V-I-E-S-E-T dot -set com slash Woody's World, W-O-O-D-Y-S-W-O-R-L-D. Uh, that is a pilot that I'm producing with Ron Coleman, who also directs Woody's World. It is at movieset.com slash Woody's World, and there you will see the blog, you'll see the cast, you'll see the crew, and we'll be adding to it uh, as we are in production. This is the first ever live action animated 
television series, which includes motion capture. So that's going to be just like when you saw Avatar, not with that amount of production value, but when you see Avatar, motion capture is what allows those creatures to come to life. And uh, we'll be taking you on a journey um, through Woody's world, through movie set. And uh, you can also go back and listen to uh, Colleen Neidstedt, who is the CEO and founder of movieset.com, uh, right here on uh, Rex Sykes Movie Beat. So stay tuned for my upcoming interview today and tomorrow. Then we go into production. Then I'm in New York. And then we're back with uh, regular interviews. So I appreciate your support and I appreciate you hanging in there. And we're going to be coming right back now with uh, Mr. Eric Morris. Eric. Um, yeah. You know, in the earlier days, you know, somebody could pick up like I picked up. I mean, I was one of your students in your class. And at the same time, I picked up, for example, uh, No Acting, Please. I picked up Being and Doing. I picked up some of the other books early on. And they were loaded with exercises that uh, an actor could do at home or in class uh, to uh, better tune their instrument or free up their instrument so that they could act or not act, as the case may be. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so in the remaining time, we've got, you know, about 30 minutes or so. Can you talk about that work, what actors, what the listener can do, um, in, I guess, in the privacy of their home to, to incorporate? And, and I always think that it's always better to have a, a guided coach. It's like if you're going, you know, to travel, if you've got somebody who's been there before you, they, they can show you all the, all the wonderful sites as well as the pitfalls. So I believe in training. I believe in, in workshops and seminars. Um, but... In lieu of that, if they're not going to be in your workshop anytime soon, what can they do to make use of their work where they're at? Make work, use of your work where they're at. Yeah, okay. Well, let me just say there are 500 exercises, 500 plus exercises in the six books that are in publication right now, and there'll be more in the seventh also, uh, many more. So if an actor gets, uh, let's say, No Acting, Please, and the companion piece, which is another book called Irreverent Acting, uh, it's a complete circle of the work, actually. It deals with the theoretical underpinnings of the uh, process that, that I've created and teach. And uh, it has exercises for liberating the instrument. And uh, the whole uh, third chapter of uh, No Acting Please is Sense Memory, how to do it. There are 100 questions in it, uh, sensorial questions that you sit and do with a cup of coffee, something to eat or drink, so you can employ all five senses. And... Irreverent acting is all craft. So the two books together really form the circle of the work, the instrument and the craft. And the other books go on from there. But, uh, yes, an actor can uh, train himself, of course, with supervision. It's a lot lot better. But, you see, excuse me, I have teachers who are teaching all over the world. I have somebody in, in New York, Anthony Vincent Bova, teaches my work, has been with me. Um, for the most part of 20 years, he has a school or a, a workshop in New York, Anthony Vincent Bova in New York. I have people in, in uh, Australia at QUT, and, uh, which is uh, Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane. And then I have several teachers who are teaching at ACTT, Actors College of Theatre and Television in Sydney. And then there's some people in uh, Melbourne, uh, private teachers who are teaching my work also. And I have uh, people who uh, have, have kind of splintered off here and are using my work. And so there are, must be uh, in, there must be a multitude of teachers out there 
uh, who directly studied with me or have gotten the work through the books and are teaching it. Uh, I understand there's somebody in Turkey teaching the work from the books, etc. and so forth. I just got a call. So it isn't just me doing it. My wife teaches. She's brilliant. She goes all over the world working with actors uh, on movies, etc. And so there are a lot of people out there that, that you know teach my work that have actually been exposed to being in the classes and workshops. But the books are, are an incredible asset to life. Like in Being and Doing, which is a workbook for actors, if you just open it to whatever's on that page and do the exercises on that page as a kind of a, a daily process, that in itself uh, will, will grow the actor, will open up the capillaries of expression, and, and also deals with instrument and craft. So the books are invaluable. By the time you get to acting, imaging, and the unconscious, hopefully you've read the other books, it's, uh, it's, it's dedicated to the exploration of how you can peak the unconscious. You see, 95% of our real talent lives in the unconscious. Only 5% of our talent is actually consciously produced. So actually the goal is like the fourth book is called Acting from the Ultimate Consciousness, which is the precursor for acting, imaging, and the unconscious, which means that there are techniques for consciously sinking a shaft into the unconscious and bringing up all of the wealth of that incredible genius that we all are. Everybody's a genius in the unconscious. If you can tap into that and liberate that unconscious flow into your, <clears throat> excuse me, into your acting, into your living, you become a very dimensional, exciting artist and person. So the books are invaluable for actors to, to really work on, which brings up a thing <clears throat> that I want to talk about. You see, most, uh, so many actors think that if they take a college class, they do a couple of plays, and they learn how to memorize lines and, and assume behavior, that that's acting, you see. Acting is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year responsibility. The process of acting is more complex than brain surgery or heart transplant surgery. You know, somebody would laugh, I guess. Maybe a doctor would laugh if he heard me say that. But it's true. You're dealing with the most complicated instrument known to mankind, the human condition, the human nervous system, the brain, the mind. We still don't know what part of the brain the mind exists in. I mean, we're, you know, uh, uh, Jung said uh, the unconscious is it was his life's work, and he still didn't understand it totally or to a large degree. What is unconscious is unconscious, and how can we know what is unconscious if we don't know what we don't know, so to speak? But you can access it, and you can liberate it up into your behavior and into your acting, into your uh, relating to character and, and fulfilling responsibilities and obligations. But most actors don't realize that 24 hours a day you're an actor and you have to be in training. I've, I've been an actor for 60-some-odd years. I'm still training. I do, my, I, I do sleep work. I do, I, do, I, I do dream work. I do lucid dreaming. I, I write my dreams down. I learn from my dreams. Dreams are our greatest teachers. It's a direct conduit into the unconscious. I, 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 do, I order up dreams. I, I participate, not every night. I, I don't have lucid dreams every night, but when I do, 
I participate in my dreams and I can manipulate and change them. That's an incredible connection with the unconscious. This is this is so exciting. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here on this telephone talking about this, and I'm getting excited about stuff I've been doing for years. It's incredible. But, you know, our dreams are our greatest teachers because they really tell us and they educate us as to what's going on in the unconscious. That's the direct conduit. There is a, a state of being called the hypnagogic state. <clears throat> it's a state just before you wake up in the morning and just before you fall asleep at night. When the, un, when the conscious is not totally yet totally asleep and the unconscious is not totally uh, uh, participating, it's that fine line between the two. When you get these incredible thoughts, you say, where did that come from? What is that, you know? That's the point at which the unconscious and the conscious are the closest in proximity to each other. And if you can, if you can grab like a wisp of smoke those times in the hypnagogic state, you can get insight into what the unconscious is doing, you know? It's just, it's, Rex, it's so terribly exciting. I can't, you know, I'm sitting here getting goosebumps talking about my, this work, you know? Well, if, if I may... Um share a couple of things and then and, and propose something in a question. Um, uh, one is that in, in terms of acquiring skill, you know, for most people, there's, there's a, you know, a place at which they don't know anything about it, like riding a bike. They don't even know that they can't ride it. And then they discover a bike and decide that they'd like to ride it. And they hop on the bike and find that it's really hard. And there's a lot of things they have to coordinate. They don't do it in isolation. They don't just practice pedaling behavior and practice steering behavior. They, they kind of jump on but they consciously have to shift their attention to different aspects of that while learning balance and, and learning forward locomotion. And, and it takes some time, and they fall off, and they do all that. But eventually, through practice, they acquire the skill of getting onto the bike and driving over to a friend's house. And then ultimately, one day they hop on their bike, they ride to the friend's house, and they were thinking about all these other things, and they do it unconsciously. They just It's second nature. They don't have to think about it. Their conscious can be involved, for example, uh, when need be, you know, but... Uh, but they're now they're now operating in a, in a different fashion than they were prior to having learned it. Absolutely. Now, so in the same way with acting, I, my guess is I mean you have exercises that allow people to uncover and discover things. You know, work with their senses, enable their senses to bring awareness to things that they may or may not be aware of. But you also have kind of a clearinghouse of exercises where like. To get to the treasure, you have to remove the dirt that's on top of it, and so you're absolutely you're, that's the getting, instrumental liberation. Yes, you're getting things out of the way. You're getting out of your own way to free up your instrument so that you can behave spontaneously and naturally, so that you can respond unconsciously as you would in real life, even though that the situation is contrived. I mean, in other words, you're using lines and you're you're in an artificial situation that was scripted for you, but you're now behaving as if you were behaving it and living it as opposed to yeah but that artificial situation has got to become real for the actor it yeah. no longer is artificial because he's actually from his own frame of reference and his own life experience and choices uh, is experiencing exactly what the character is experiencing in the framework of that scene absolutely i want to say one other thing sure in acting imaging and the unconscious there is a section which is designed to program the unconscious to do your acting for you in a specific role. It is it, it is it is an amazing journey, and it's uh, it, it's not something that a beginning actor should do. But as you get as you grow and evolve, and you really train your instrument, 
and you start do, dealing with uh, uh, conscious peaking the unconscious, this is th- this is so avant-garde, and it's so it's never been approached in acting and uh, that I know of in, in the history of acting since Thespis three thirty two hundred years ago. But if you really know how to program the unconscious to really liberate itself into the uh, addressing a role, uh, a character, and a thing. It is the most amazing transformational experience an actor can have. But it's not something that you start out with. It's something that you come to after you've done a lot of instrumental clearing, after you've become liberated, after you learn the craft, the obligations, the choices, the choice approaches. Then you can start to matriculate and advance into that, that area of conscious-unconscious communication. Well, I I would liken. I mean, again, you know, the the analogies may suffer, but I would liken it to like a world class athlete in that when they're performing and they're at the top of their game, and they are uh, behaving in that fashion where they are, you know, it's beyond consciousness that they have all of the, you know, I mean, the the intrinsic reward for being in those states of consciousness uh and 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 reaching those those peaks of performance uh can be outstanding and and the novice just doesn't experience that until they're at that place you know i mean they you oh, know, of course, they're, of course. they're busy at the so the, the, uh, uh the lifetime you know this is a journey of a lifetime uh <clears throat> i train people and after 2 3 4 years of really hard work they become journeyman craftspeople journeyman craftsmen but to become a master at anything it takes a it takes a better part of a life you know a lifetime it's a journey a master at anything you know how many how many 8 degree black belts are there or 7 degree or 9 degree uh you can count them on two hands you know that's that that's a journey of a lifetime you know and but but it's a wonderful journey it's a fulfilling and satisfying journey it's a, you know people who want to act, you know, another thing i want to just bring up the greatest percentage of people who are attracted to acting are attracted to it for most of the wrong reasons. And, uh, you know, I want to be seen. I want to look at me, look at me, look at me, love me, love me, love me. Uh, this is a way that I can I can achieve uh, visibility, recognition, etc. All of those things are wonderful things to uh, evolve in your life, but that's not the reason to choose to be an artist or to be an actor. Uh, you have to fall in love with it, you know. I've worked with, oh, I guess about a half a dozen champions. And these, these people, these champions that I've worked with, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Joe Lewis, who was a karate champion. Uh, hey, Joe, Bian- yeah, cool. Yeah, but beyond you, et cetera, and so forth. I've worked with uh, Eric, er, 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 I forget his, Eric King, or Eric, I forget his last name, uh, the little king of uh, Kung Fu. And every, Eric every, Lee. W- pardon me? Eric, Eric Lee. Lee. Eric Lee, of course. No, yeah, we, I worked Eric, with all we were, of these. we were in class together. Yeah, that's right. I worked with all of these people over the years. And to the last one, I would ask this question, including Arnold. How do you become a champion? How do you become a top of your uh, top of the game you're in, the top of the athletic, st- or, or 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 the dancer, or the whatever you are? And they all gave me the same answer, maybe in different words, but the same answer. And you know what the answer is? You have to fall in love with the training. 
You have to find a way to fall in love with the training process. That's how you become a champion. That's how you become an expert. That's how you, that's how you achieve uh, the kind of success we're all after. You have to fall in love with the training. You know, Arnold told me a story. I got a, I got a Arnold Schwarzenegger. We worked together for a year. You know, I love Arnold. Arnold is a, Arnold is a prince of a man. He's one of the brightest people I've ever known, and he's one. If Arnold likes you, he, he has a heart as big as Texas. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing a commercial for Arnold, but a lot of people see Arnold in a very different light. I think he's extremely talented, and if he wanted to be a serious actor, he could. Well, when he was in Austria and he was in training, he uh the gym was closed on sunday and so he he had he broke into the gym through the skylight shimmied down some kind of a pole and worked out in the gym because it was that important for him not to miss a day of of working out i mean i mean this this is dedication you know uh Baryshnikov made a statement he said if you miss one day of training it takes you three days to get back to where you were before you miss that day. So, I mean, you know what I'm saying? This is this is a commitment. This is a commitment to training and growth and evolution and being serious about it. You know, I I I you know I I I've done a hundred films. That's television included. I've done twenty, thirty, forty. I don't lost count. Equity plays. Uh, uh, etc. And you know, I, I'm not a household word as an actor. I'm not a star. But you know, I I love my acting career because it made me the person I am. It dimensionalized me. I've been very fulfilled with my acting. And so you know, it all depends on what you want and what you, you know where, what your goals are. You want to be a movie star, or do you want to be a movie star and an artist, or do you want to be an artist and whatever whatever road it takes you. I've had long conversations with Jack Nicholson over the years. We studied with Marty Landau. He came and worked with me for a couple of years, more as a contemporary than a student because we were contemporaries. And we, we have conversations, you know. I talked to him about things he did on, on The Departed, and we had a long conversation about how he approached certain scenes. And, I mean, this man is a superstar, and yet he does the work. He works. He commits himself to making it real, to working for things that dig down into the viscera of who he is and brings it up. I mean, you know, at at some point an actor can say, I can coast. Well, Jack doesn't coast, and either does does Robert De Niro or Al Pacino or any of the uh, method-type actors that uh, are out there. They don't coast. They work. They work. They work. They work. Let me ask you about that. I have, I have actually two questions. One is, uh, the first would be, and we've got about 15 minutes remaining, Eric, but the first would be, intuitively, people seem to know the difference between good and bad acting. I, you know, they may not absolutely. Be able, absolutely, they may not absolutely. Able, they may not be able to voice it, but they go to a movie. And they and don't they even go, know how you get to it, but they can recognize it, yes. Right. So what is the difference? And two, when Nicholson or anyone does the work on a character, what are they doing? I mean, in other words, we hear that, you know, I've done the work, I've done my background, I've done my research, well, well what are they doing that would enable the listener to understand more about that process? So You're there's making me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't, I'll tell you why I'm laughing. It's like saying to, uh, to uh, uh, Einstein, well, okay, in, um, in, in, 
12, 15 words explaining right. the theory of relativity. This is the elevator pitch time. This is like, get it to me before we get to the second floor. Okay, I can, I can give you a kind of a kind of an outline okay sure but you. but you know it's like what does it i mean it is it is complex you know it you see i don't think it's complex and i don't think a really trained actor think it's complex but to a person who is untrained or hasn't gone through the process it is complex first of all uh the uh, the the actor must read the material and get his impressions or her impressions of of the essence, the ambiance, the impact, the what, the, uh, how he or she is affected by it overall, not to create a concept of, of of the material, but just to just to absorb absorb everything that the uh, that the writer has given you to go on. Then the actor has to identify the, the uh, his character. What are the what are the responsibilities of his character? What is his character like physically, emotionally, psychologically, and intellectually? Then the actor has to to identify how he or she is like that character, and how he or she is unlike that character, and what they have to do creatively in terms of craft to to uh, liberate the uh, the. Uh, things about themselves that are like the character and to create choices that will stimulate things about them that are not like the character. For example, <clears throat> let's say the character is very basic and very uh, visceral and very animal-like and the actor approaching this part, like uh, View from the Bridge, Eddie and View from the Bridge, uh, approaches this part, is not at all a stevedore, does not load ships, is not kind of like muscular, is not, uh, not, not physical that way, but that's his character responsibility. Well, that actor can then approach that character element obligation by working for an external, an animal, a gorilla, a primate, and then uh, get a sense of that animal and translate it into human behavior, therefore, thereby fulfilling that character element. Uh, Rex, I'm just on character. I haven't dealt with relationship responsibilities, subtextual responsibilities. I haven't dealt with with the emotional life of the character. I'm just talking about one element. So when you say, what can an actor do? How does an actor approach it? If he's a trained actor, he kind of takes it one step at a time. First, starting with starting with uh, the character maybe, starting with time and place, starting with the relationship elements, depending on what the material is heavy, weighted heavy, most heavy with. You know what I mean? Is it, is it a character-driven piece? Is it a relationship-driven piece? Of course, there's always character, even in a relationship-driven piece. So essentially, there's an awful lot of facets and elements an, an actor has to deal with knowledgeably. So when you say what what can a a character what can an actor do to approach the character and I laughed I wasn't laughing at you it was it just right. uh, believe me I wasn't right oh, I, 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 I was just laughing right. because it's like asking uh, uh, Einstein to explain the entire relativity to in 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 twelve words or two sentences it's sure. so much more complicated than that however like you pointed out before. A master athlete doesn't have to think about what they do because they have they have created the ability to do it consciously, unconsciously, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, after ten years or five years or however long an actor's been in training, dealing with what I'm talking about is a piece of cake. 
I mean, in, in comparison to an actor who doesn't know how to approach material. But there are seven major obligations, time and place, relationship, emotional, character obligations, thematic, historical, and subtextual. Now, not all of these obligations relate to every single piece of material because if it's a contemporary piece, there's no historical obligation. If it's uh, if 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 it's uh, um, the, the part where the um, character has to deal with the author's intentions or the author's uh, statement, the uh, thematic part, there might not be a thematic. Uh, you see, most writers. Or Shaw was famous for this, George Bernard Shaw. He would pick one character to be his mouthpiece. He would pick one character behaviorally and expressively to carry his theme or his statement. Now, if that exists in a piece of material and you are the character that the author has selected to be his mouthpiece, you have a thematic obligation. And that thematic obligation is not just a cerebral thing. It's something that you have to create in reality terms, give you an example. Uh, this is a this is a play written by a, a, a Russian writer, and it's very anti-communistic. It's it 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 really it it really devastates the whole concept of communism. The main character is a staunch communist, and the author selects him as a mouthpiece to show the evils of communism. He's fanatic. He's insensitive. He's willing to sacrifice people for the cause. And so the author picks uh, Ivanov, let's say, uh, just I made that name up, Ivanov, to carry his mouth, to carry his uh, statement his uh, through the thematic uh, uh, part of the uh, obligation. So Ivanov is so staunchly communistic that he, sh he shows the evil of communism, and that's the author's intention. Well, an actor playing that, who is totally unfamiliar with politics and not really in relation to communism or capitalism or socialism or whatever, would have to find a choice that would be he'd be so adamant about and so uh, uh, completely one-sided about and uh, would carry that into uh, the material and the lines coming out of his mouth would be what the author wrote, but his choice would just be a parallel choice to uh, fulfill the thematic obligation. Now, of the seven major obligations, they always have a time and place obligation. There's always a relationship obligation. Who is this person to me and how do I feel about him? There's always... Uh, an emotional obligation. There is not always a character obligation if you, the actor, are the character or have all of the component parts of the character, then you're a shoe-in. But if you don't, you have to work on the character obligation. Uh, the other obligations are, are only there if you're doing like a period piece. A period piece can be the 1960s. You know, that's period for the 2010. So you have to go back and you have to research the the uh, dress, the uh, the psychology, the uh, preoccupations, the, uh, the the politics of the time, and you have to you have to you have to address all of those things. So you see, it's it's it, it sounds very complicated, but it's not complicated once you know what you're doing. You know? Did I ask you a question? Uh, yeah, and I, and I would venture we've got about seven minutes left, and I would venture this that that for the most part, most 
athletes can't tell you what they've done. They don't know how they do it. They don't understand the process. They just behave it. And it takes someone like you or someone like an athletic coach who can decode what they're doing and share it with others. In other words, it's, it's I mean, you can work on yourself as you have, but I'm, I'm saying that for the most part, many people have a great difficulty describing their un- crush, un- unconscious processes. When well, let me, let me, let me say yourself. this. When an actor gets up on stage uh, in my class, let's say he comes from some other uh, discipline, and I ask him, okay, you did this monologue or this scene, how did you approach it? And that actor cannot tell me that he doesn't know what he's doing. If you know what you're doing and you know how to do it, if you know what you're doing and how to do it, you can explain it. You can talk about it. This is what I obligated myself to. This is how I approached it. This was my choice. This is the choice approach I used. This is my preparation. I did a vulnerability workout. I did this, that, and the other thing. If you know what you're doing, and I'm going to give you a, a, a parallel. I, I, I'm going to a doctor, let's say, this is hypothetical, and I have, uh, he has to take my appendix out because I'm, I've got an a, a appendectomy uh, attack. So I say to the doctor, look, uh, what are you going to do? I want to I'll step by step. How are you going to take my appendix out? If he if he if he says to me, well, you know, uh, I get an operating room and I get an anesthesiologist and I get a couple of scalpels and I don't know, I just cut where I think the appendix is and, and then I take it out and I sew you up. I mean, I wouldn't go to that doctor. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. The idea is if he doesn't know exactly exactly specifically surgically specifically what he's doing i don't want him to operate on me same thing with an actor if an actor doesn't know what he's doing or she's doing and can't talk about it then they don't know i mean you don't have to be a hundred percent articulate but you have to be able to explain how you approach something and if you don't know you don't know and that's you know you know i hear things like well i'll tell you eric uh I thought about it, and I put myself where the character was. I said, well, how do you do that? I put myself where the character was. I just imagine the things that are he's feeling. That's, that's not process. That's cerebral gymnastics, you know? And what is the difference then? Because And we only have about four minutes, but what is the difference between, just, just for the listeners, so they understand the difference between the cerebral gymnastic and process. There, it's not a mental game that they're playing. What, what, what happens? What is, what, where's the transformation? What's the difference? What's the difference between, well, the cerebral process is the assumption of behavior, the imposition of behavior, conceptually imposing it, and the visceral experiential process is really experiencing the feelings, the emotions, the impulses, the thoughts of the character from your own frame of reference. It's a visceral process. It's an organic emotional process. The, the, the mental gymnastics is, is the conceptual approach to acting. You assume behavior. You're angry, so you make yourself be angry. You're uh, confused, so you impose a state of confusion. But you're not confused, and you're not angry. You're, you're representing it. You're imposing it. You're conceptualizing it. It's not real. It's acting rather makes, than experiencing. And that makes perfect sense. I, that actually does. And And... and as does the idea that um, you know people can track through their own process. You know, uh, as you as you um, mentioned with the doctor. So that's that's good because what we're, we're providing then is is in order to be a, a good professional artist, you know, there are things that you need to have um, 
available to you and one is 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 the things that you just described now but that also goes to say that there has to be some and, and I'm sorry about this there's like three minutes two minutes left um, but there has to be some kind of safeguard in other words if I'm playing the killer I'm not actually I may have all those impulses but I'm not yeah, going I, out. I, 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 I've accommodated that I call it the 11th level of consciousness on the first 10 levels you're actually experiencing what the character is experiencing, and on the eleventh level, as that I chose that number. On the eleventh sure. level of consciousness, you know you know what you're doing, and you're 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 safe. There is that safeguard. You don't really kill the actress at the end of the second act when you're strangling her on the floor because your eleventh level of consciousness knows what you're doing. But on the first ten levels of consciousness, you are totally experiencing it. Get it? Now, you develop that eleventh level by virtue of doing the work and evolving as a as a craftsperson, and it's it's really an interesting process. I mean, someday, somewhere down the line, all more more actors will be experiential and less actors will be con, uh, conceptual. You know. Mm-hmm. Eric, that is great. Again, we got about two minutes. So in the in the two minutes or the minute and a half that we have. Um, The idea that they're experiencing all of these things, you know, for some, I mean, because I see the questions coming, is, is you know, um, don't, can't, couldn't they be spending a lot of time in pain and anger? How, do they, how does this become a clearinghouse for them so that they're not screwed up? Yeah, eleventh level of consciousness. What I said, you walk. Okay. You, well, you know, you're not a you're not a machine. You're going to have some carryover. You're going to have some impact on it. But you walk out of it. You know, a choice that makes you miserable and depressed has an antidotal choice. You walk into one room and you're using a choice. You're you're depressed and you're angst and you're down uh, low, and then you finish the, the, the scene, you walk out of that, and you work for a choice that liberates you and makes you high. You do a Pollyanna exercise, or you do something to take you out of that realm of emotionality. So in other words, heads at one side of the coin, tails on the other. You have some, some 100,000 different choices you can use to take you from one place to another. That is awesome. That is really, truly awesome. I appreciate it so much. Eric, you are fantastic. I'm proud to have known you all of these years. I want to have you back sometime again for another show uh, when we can. And uh, And continue writing and continue uh, coaching because, uh, you know, you, you're awesome. Anytime, and, I, and you're awesome too. So we're both <laughs> awesome, okay? <laughs> Eric, thanks so much. Have a really great day. And, uh, uh, uh like I said, keep writing and keep doing because uh, we need more of it. Thanks for the opportunity, Rex. You bet, Eric. Thank you. That is Mr. Eric Morris, and uh, my pleasure to have him on. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating, absolutely, incredibly intriguing. And if you haven't been in one of his workshops, uh, you know it's, it's too bad for you unless you can get into one of them because they they are. I mean, it's been many years since I was there, uh, but. Uh, they were quite, quite the experience, and especially as an actor, they were they were a good experience to have. So um, again, I want to remind everybody that I've got another guest coming up. Uh, Mr. Alan Gansberg will be up in just about an hour. If you're listening live in the chat room, or you got some friends you want to tell, or you want to post it on your Facebook walls, or you want to tweet about it, and please go ahead and tweet about Eric's interview and post it on your walls and spread the word that if you waited. And that kind of thing, because that's how we get the word out. Uh, help me get the word out if you like these shows and these interviews. I sure appreciate it. 
Uh, tomorrow or the next interview in the queue would be uh, Mr. John Paul Rice, the producer. He's coming up. I've got lots of exciting guests coming up in the future, so keep stay tuned and, and keep sharing. And, uh, and um, check out the interviews blog for guests, upcoming guests. And there are a lot that are not yet listed, uh, partly because I go to New York and uh, Woody's World. Again, that website is movieset.com slash Woody's World, W-O-O-D-Y-W-O-R-L-W-O-O-D-Y-S-W-O-R-L-D, Woody's World. Uh, check that out. You can become a member of the Rex Sykes Movie Beat Facebook Friends Group or the Facebook Group by clicking on the links or searching them there at Facebook. And... Um, Everybody, I want to say have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, that is a wrap. And we'll be meeting in an hour if you join us then. That's a wrap.